welcome back, everybody. Uh, special guest, Bob Sagerson, absolutely great coach at the high school level uh, in Ohio, former teammate of mine, won 518 games in his career. It's in the Hall of Fame, the Ohio Basketball Hall of Fame. Uh, Bob, before we took the break, we were talking about kids concentrating on one sport early and et cetera. And, and one of the things that uh, does happen to those kids that do that is some of them actually get to the point where they're scholarship worthy. And I know about recruiting from the college side, but what's it like from the high school side when you've got a good player? Um, and I, what I, wanna, I want you to talk about is those players that think maybe they're a little bit better than they are, uh, the parents, how they get involved, and then how you deal with the college coaches also and, and telling them what level this kid is in your mind. Well, first of all, every kid's better than he is not as good as they think they are. And every athlete's parents think they're better than they are. I mean, that just comes with the territory. I, I mean, it just is. And, and I got to the point where I didn't get mad at them. I just would try to, you know, reason with them. But um, I think every athlete it aspires to be a division one player. So you will get a kid who's like a junior in high school and you'll sit him down in the spring and he's a good player. He maybe has a chance to at a D division two, maybe, but it's probably a division three NCAA or a non-scholarship player that will get the chance to play at the next level if he wants to. And you'll ask him, okay, where, where do you, what are you thinking? And they'll go, well, I'm still like Ohio State and Michigan. And <laughs> it's amazing how many times I've had conversation with young athletes and they, they're, they're still dreaming that that's, you know, that that's going to happen. Now, one thing AAU has done is, is it's, you know, it's been more selective. And so to make some of these travel teams that really do get exposure, you have to be pretty good. Uh, the problem comes to more so is when you get a parent who just is absolutely convinced that their son or daughter is a division one athlete or a division two scholarship athlete and they're not. And so I've had to sit parents down and when they're talking to him and say, you know, this is how you're going to find out if you are, if, if Billy is a division one athlete, they're going to offer him. <laughs> It, it's not me going out and knocking on their door and, and begging, you know, asking them to get a scholarship because nobody's hidden anymore. You know, there's, you, you, you know, there's diamond in the, in the rough is just not really much of a factor anymore. But when they start coming, uh, there's a kid that I know in this area right now that is a, you know, a great player and everybody thinks, well, he's averaging 30 points a game. He's going to go D1. And I saw his father at a game and, and uh, talk to him and he goes, well, what do you think, Zach? And I says, what well, doesn't matter what I think. What matters is what the division one coaching staffs think. And if they think that he can play division one basketball, that you will know this before your senior year. You will know it in the springtime and summer and, and at the very latest in the fall where they'll be coming in with scholarship offers. And if they're not, you know, if, if the D ones aren't there, then beware, because what could happen is very late in the recruiting cycle, they may not get who they want. And then they come back to recruit you and you think, oh yeah, I'm gonna get this D1 scholarship. Well, guess what? 
you're going to be on the end of the bench because you weren't who they really wanted in the first place. Mm -hmm. And you could be end up not playing. And I've seen that happen to a lot of good athletes at several at Lima Central Catholic who were just determined to be D1 athletes and late in the recruiting cycle, got onto a D1 program, but when it was all over, wished that they had gone to D2 and had a great career there, you know, instead of sitting on somebody's bench at the level up. So it's a tough thing to sell to a kid and it's a hard thing to tell a parent, but I used to pass it on, you know, they'd want me to do something and I'd say, you know, it's not up to me. It's up to the division one and division two scholarship programs. They will tell you if, if, if your son or daughter is worth getting, you know, is, is, is going to get us. If, if they're not there, they're not there. I can't, you know, I can't talk them into it at the last second. Yeah. So it, it's tough. It, it's a tough thing. It's a tough thing for those athletes, but uh, it's, you know, and they got to take advantage of the scholarship when they do get them because all these kids aren't going to go pro. And, and you know, you've been there. There's an enormous number of, of college kids playing division one and two, division two uh, scholarship basketball who really think they're going to play professional ball in the G league or, or Europe. I mean, a, a ton of them. And, and I go back to five star when there was a, there was a basketball coach at, Washington named George Raveling. I think he coached at Iowa for a while too. Yeah, he, did. He, he spoke to Five Star one time. He was great. He walked out on that court, you know, in front of all these Division One, Division Two scholarship players. There's like 300 of them in the gym. And he had his basketball and he had these massive hands. And he pulls out this air nozzle and he sticks it into the basketball. And then he squeezed it until there was no air in the basketball. And then he just dropped it to the floor. And he said, Don't waste basketball. You know, that was his day. Don't waste it. He said, because I got news for you. You aren't playing professional ball. You know, you're not going to play professional. You know, most of you are not going to play. It's a good dream. Work for that. He said, but if you waste your scholarship and end up in some goofy major that is not going to support you or your family, then you've wasted scholarship. If you're sitting there thinking you're going to, you know, knock down a division, you know, a, a, an NBA salary for five or 10 years, you're just kidding yourself because even those of you in this room right now who are McDonald's All-Americans and who are, you know, being recruited at the top level, most of you won't go to the next level. So it was a really good message to athletes about um, not wasting the opportunity they have and to get an education while they're playing basketball. And if they get sucked into one of these majors that you know all these colleges have now that really won't get you a job you say you're just you're wasting basketball and uh to me <clears throat> there was another side to that argument too that i used to use with my players is that <clears throat> even if you're not a scholarship basketball player even if you're a guy that just sits on the end of the bench don't waste basketball by not realizing that you can get as much out of the game as a scholarship player or the star on the team. If you're part of a team, if you're practicing with them, you can still learn the same, you know, you can learn camaraderie, you can learn friendship, you can learn resiliency, you can learn discipline, you can learn, learn toughness, things that you can use in your life. Don't quit the team or drop off because you didn't get picked for a select team when you were in the seventh or eighth grade or that you're not in the playing role or some sophomore got in front of you. Stay with basketball. You know, don't waste the opportunity to get the real rewards of basketball, which are not scholarship money. The, you know, 
the purpose of basketball is not to get kids to get scholarships. <clears throat> the purpose is to be part of something bigger than yourself. Yeah. And if that means that you have to play a role that's a little bit under what you imagine or your parents did, you can still get the rewards of basketball. Don't waste the opportunity that basketball gives you. And, I, and I was, that, that speech that Raveling made, it really stuck with me. And, and I've tried to impart that. That's kind of the message that I try to give players in our program. And, you know, when I speak at clinics and things like that, I, you know, I think that's an important message for young people to hear. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, uh, going back to your philosophy on, I want to talk about scheduling. Um, you know, in my book, I talk about our non-conference schedule. And I, this may have come from the father, her, and us, or <laughs> that uh, when I scheduled, I always tried to have a non-conference schedule that was extremely difficult. And so we were being at the bottom of the rung. You know, we could go and play Division II NCAA schools, and they'd pay us a little bit of money to come play them, 500 bucks or so. But if you played six or seven of them, then you had, you know, maybe up to $5,000 that you could put into your budget and be able to use to do a little more in your program. But you almost guaranteed yourself of going 0-6 or 0-7 on your non-conference. <clears throat> um, what, what, what was your philosophy on your non-conference scheduling? Well, uh, my philosophy was just like yours, Joe. I wanted to play as tough as we could get. Now, Lyme Central Catholic, was we were not in the league for almost the entire time that I coached and even to this day it would you know we just we didn't get in the league so what we tried to do was we tried to play the top of the three or four leagues around the area so and uh, that meant playing schools that are bigger than us quite a bit it prepared us for the post-game season tournament and that's where we had our eyes because we didn't play for a league championship and so we weren't really worried about you know, having a record with five or six losses on it because we were still going to get in. Everybody got into the postseason tournament. And oftentimes through the first two levels of the tournament, especially, we were playing teams that weren't really as good as the teams that we were playing during our normal schedule. Mm -hmm. And so we would have teams that were going, you know, deep into the tournament who had, you know, just over 500 or, you know, something like that. So I did, I did feel like I was more interested in, you can get more out of a loss and you to a tough team as long as you're not getting hammered. And uh, then you could by stepping on some, you know, you know, some team that are, you know, is, is not really that good. I, I did tell several coaches that were taking over programs that were really bad. And uh, <clears throat> I, I told them, I advised them that early on, maybe the first year or two, schedule some wins. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Get some wins under your belt. You know, don't, you know, let let your pro, you know, they're going to give you three years. You know, they should give them five years, but uh, you're going to get some time to build your program. So go in and build your program from the bottom up, always from the middle. You know, this is high school. So junior high up, build from there. And then in that meantime, get some wins, you know, because it's really hard to turn a program around that hasn't had wins because it becomes so much a part of the psychological culture that they're in that the expectation, especially when games get close, is that you're going to you're going to lose. And it, it, that's a real hard thing to turn around in a program's head, I think.
we, Joe, we used to see this ourselves. We, we built a great program. And I can't tell you how many times we played a team that we were supposed to win, but late in the game, it's a great game. And it came down to crunch time. And instead of us making a great play, the other team would make a play and a series of plays what that put him in a bad position and we could win the game. You know what I mean? It was like they didn't believe it in the back of their heads that they could pull the swim off. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you how many times I've been on the other side of that where we were the beneficiary of that simply because we had that reputation and we were, a, you know, a strong program. And I always felt bad for those coaches because I thought to myself, that coach worked hard enough to win that game, but his players, they just don't believe it yet. You know, and, and getting them to go from there to a winning mentality is probably the biggest challenge a coach faces. And I think you faced that, Joe. I think you faced that at, at Benedictine. Yeah, I really did. When I took over, uh, the year before I took over, there were 0 and 18 in the league, 5 and 26. And it, that next year with the same team, I, I tell people all the time, I said, the good news is I had all five starters back. The bad news is I had all five starters back, yeah. you know, and, and mentally they just didn't know how to win. And right. it, it took me that year, we were three and eight out of the box. And, and one day in practice, I just got them in, in the huddle. And I said, gentlemen, I want you to know, I never, ever, 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 ever quit and neither are you and i'll be doggone we ended up 17 17 in the in the playoffs the league playoffs we had to go down and play the second place team and we beat them on their home court and we had a chance to win and play in the third place team in the semifinals and lost it right at the end but um changing that mindset bobby was so difficult and that actually took me about four years oh, yeah. almost five years before i had that driven out of their heads yeah. and it was one of my biggest challenges so well, I, joe i remember my first you know when i took over the program the program had not necessarily been really down but they were underperforming for a number of years and you know that you know it wasn't where it should have been and I remember early in my coaching career after a loss, like the second or third, fourth game, taking the kids into the locker room and they were all just, they were okay with it. You know what I mean? It wasn't, you know, I remember I, I, I sat them all down. I got all the assistants out and I said, and I, and I had it out with them. I said, I want, I want you to know something. I'm hurting right now. Yeah. I am really hurting. And it bothers me that you're not hurting. And I mean, I, I really, I really emotionally went after him a little bit and told him how I felt about it. And if, if they were going to play for me, that they had to have at least as much feeling for this game as I did, because there's no worse feeling in the game of basketball than when a coach realizes that he wants to win more than his player. You know exactly. I mean? And that, that, that's, that's and changing that. It can be done. And I think we did it. You know, I think I got a couple of kids in there that night that, that felt exactly like I did. And then you start rubbing that off and you start getting players over time that are in a successful program. Then it kind of takes care of itself. Your players take care of the locker room. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I still remember that night I, had to, I went in there and told them that. <laughs> <laughs> Let me change topics on you. Uh, you're a journalist. 
Sister Paulette would never, ever believe that I wrote a book and you write a, a weekly column for the newspaper. <laughs> and, and when we were in, her, in that English class, and I think we were in separate English classes, I was actually the class clown in the one I was in. And, uh, and I don't know how well you did in English, but the last thing she would have ever expected is, at least for me, to be a writer of any sort. But I've read your articles and uh, you've been doing it for years and they're, they're just excellent in my opinion. How'd that happen? Well, you know, I always liked to write. When I was in high school, I actually went in, into the, we, we did have a creative writing class by Rita K. Blanchard taught. There was about 12 of us in, the, in this class my senior year. And, and I would never have gone into that class, you know, and, and unless Jim Lynch four years before me had done that and done some poetry, written some poetry for the school newsletter. And I, I remember thinking, well, that was kind of cool. And so that kind of gave me the jock permission to kind of go in that direction a little bit. So I, I like to write and, uh, and I always felt like I had a, a gift for it. I, I almost went into journalism in college, but I, I was, a, I loved history and, and I thought about law and that, so, but I didn't do it. So where I learned to write, Joe, was when I was a director of guidance, I had to write these uh, uh, recommendations to select schools and I had to present a student in a lot, you know, and, and try to build them up some way in a creative way. And, that, and that's really where I learned to write. But when I retired from coaching, Jim Crummels, the editor of the Lyman News, circulation, I don't know, 30 or 40,000, um, he, he asked me if I would write one column to start the next season, you know, because I was out of it for the first time. I said, yeah, I'll do one. Well, I got a good reaction. So I did another one and I ended up writing one every week that year. And that turned into 10, this is my 11th year now. And I write them during the basketball season. And a lot of them are just, you know, off the cuff history, how I feel coaching. And I like it because it keeps my foot in the game. And, it, you know, it, it, it's, it's like it's not as hard to give up basketball because I'm still in it because I'm writing about it. And the, 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 the column has been well received around the state and even even farther out. I mean, and I'm amazed in this day of social media how I'll write a column and I'll get a reply and I, I get a lot of emails and, and text and things. I'll get them from literally all around the country. I mean, I don't get deluged with them, but certain certain columns will hit a nerve and people people will write to me. And, and I, I just, I'm amazed at how many people end up reading the column, but I like it. It's work, but I, it's, it's not, it's work that I like to do. Well, you're really good at it. And I'm so glad that you posted on Facebook because I, I necessarily would not go out and go to the Lima news and click sure. on that and go look for the article before when it's on Facebook, it's just, Oh, Bobby wrote another one. Great. Click on it. And they're always very interesting and entertaining. So you do a great job. Um, one of the, things that I did find out there was uh, this 50 things learned as a high school coach that you put together, uh, which has so many great things in it, uh, things that you did learn. And uh, I'm going to ask you online right now, may I have permission to take that and, and put that on my website as, as a resource for coaches? Yeah, ab absolutely. It, 50 things, lessons I learned, they're, they're just a sentence, 50 sentences. So it's not like it's, you can read through it in about 
five minutes, 10 minutes, it very easily. But um, some of them are tongue in cheek. And uh, that was one of the columns that uh, really, really got around. I mean, it, it, it just went around and it just didn't stop going around for quite a long time. So I think a lot of people out there that are coaches may have seen it, but um, it's just something that I started thinking about one night and it just, I got up to 50 and I stopped right there. But uh, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed writing that column. That was one of my favorite ones. Oh, you did a great job. And maybe we can get this thing going again. It's, it's something that coaches, young coaches especially, I think they, they get a lot out of it. So I'd really like to put it out on my website and Absolutely. Let, let people tap into it. So Absolutely. Well, Bob, I'm uh, just thrilled that you, you joined me for, we've been visiting for a while here. It's been great talking to you. We've been friends for a long time. And I know when I get back to Lima, we usually get together, but never have an opportunity to really talk at length. You know, it's usually at some type of a function. Uh, but I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us and, and share your knowledge and your wisdom with our listeners. Um, is there any last words you might have that you'd want to give advice to any of our young coaches that are watching or whatever? You know, the, the advice I give to all young coaches is don't try to be your high school coach and don't try to be your college coach and don't try to be you know, some professional coach you've admired your whole career, be you, you know, be the person that you are, you know, tap into the passion that brought you to the game in the first place and use that. And, uh, and, and that is usually going to be enough because people who are attracted to coaches, uh, uh, the coaching business uh, are usually sacrificing something in the effort. And if you're going to do that, you don't want to look back at, at someday and say, oh, I wish I'd have done it my way and hadn't done it that be yourself. The other thing I would say is I remember in high school when you came to Lima Central Catholic, Joe, and you were like 5'7 and weighed like a, oh, I don't know, 120 pounds maybe. You were like a, a, a you were just like this real little guy and, and you could shoot it. You could, you came from Ottawa. So we didn't, yeah. I didn't, and all, and, and I remember in practices, you could shoot it, but you were just so frail. And then all of a sudden, like in one summer, you came back and you were just, you just like grew into yourself. And that's kind of like what coaching does. I mean, with young coaches, you get in the game and you feel out of sorts and you're, you, you, you question yourself, especially if you've taken a, 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 a good job or a, a high school job when you're maybe not ready for it, you're young and you, you, but you grow into it. I mean, you grow into coaching. If you were meant to be a coaching, it will work for you. You just have to stay with it. It, it, it will come. Oh, that's great. Well, I appreciate the advice. And Bob, thank you so much for joining me. Okay, Joe. Just seeing you when I come back to Lima. I need to get back there soon. It's been a while since the virus has hit. So yeah. I can get back and see you and Janie and uh, lie about our, our past, about how good of players we were. <laughs> Everybody does that. Yeah. Thanks, Bobby. All right, Joe. I, I appreciate it. I loved yeah. every minute of it. Okay. You take care. You too.